if you're innovating, creating, or making a difference. This show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. I think the most exciting thing is getting headsets on other people and then watching their experience as they see like, oh my God, like just the virtual backgrounds and the different worlds. And for XR educator, futurist, and researcher, Dr. Colleen Bielitz, that excitement is all about making sure everyone has a voice in the metaverse. Colleen is Associate Vice President for Strategic Initiatives and Outreach at Southern Connecticut State University. She's also a tech evangelist, an entrepreneur, and a blue economy pioneer, implementing immersive technology as a vehicle for education and social good in a rapidly changing world. Colleen, before we get to talking about education and XR, I'm talking to a futurist, an innovator, and a leader. How did technology first come on your radar as this is the area in which you really wanted to use your talents and creativity? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny how life takes you on these different types of paths. But I, when I was, I want to say back in the late 90s, I worked for the Art Institute of Philadelphia. And I was very involved with students that were in game design or multimedia and web design. And some of the tools that they used back then, like 3D Studio Max and Maya or Adobe Photoshop and Illustrator. And I Loved being able to create these interactive presentations, taking some of the portfolio work of students. And then I would go out and I would give presentations to show students the fields that they could go into. And I think a lot of students, when they would see what could be done, were always fascinated and thought, oh, I'd love to get into that. And I feel like that kind of formed my love of technology. And I ran actually a virtual charter school as the executive director K through 12, I had 4,000 students back in 2007. And I could see then the magic of, you know, having these virtual tools. And this was before the, you know, days of Zoom, we used a a product that was called Illuminate. It was very Zoom-like, but you could, you know, have presentations and see your students and everybody could raise their hand in class. And so all of that has kind of, come together for my love of technology and education and seeing the benefits and how it could help students. Because I, in 2007, a lot of the students were that I, they were either very brilliant students or students that needed to go over lessons a couple of times and the platform allowed the smart students to go as quickly as they wanted through material and go through the assessments. And then those students that needed extra help, you know, were able to take their time going through it and go over it multiple times till they got it. So, you know, that's kind of the platform of, you know, how I got into technology and seeing how it could help students. I personally love that about technology. Personal experiences, I've been learning Unity, and it allows me to stop and say, what? And then I go back and it works really well. What about XR? People may hear this and think, what in the world are they talking about? How would you define what that is? Well, it's a combination of all of the different technologies that are out there. So you have your virtual reality, which it puts you, immerses you in a particular environment that is made, augmented reality, which kind of lays layers upon the reality that you live in, and then mixed reality, 
which is a combination of the two. So a hollow lens is a great example of that because it takes you know, items from the virtual world, but really puts them and immerses them into the real world. So it's those three combination of technologies. I know a lot of people think it's very complicated, but it really isn't, especially once you get a headset on somebody and they start to understand what it is. I hear that again and again. Whoa, this is so intimidating. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. <laughs> I'm not a tech person. What yeah. if somebody listening isn't a tech person? Where would you start them off in creating magic like you're doing with XR? Yeah, well, I think VR feels foreign and complex and out of reach to most of the researchers out there, but it's not. And there's a lot of different tools that you can use. And I think if you're interested, there's a number of different platforms that are free. So I'm the co-chair for the education committee for the VRAR Association, and we have educators in VR. I'm also part of, I'm on the leadership team for women in XR, and we offer every week on Wednesdays, we have guest speakers that speak at lunch in a virtual platform, I learn through Verbella. And so there's a lot of different things that are out there if you want to learn about it. Also, Altspace is if you have a headset and you want to join educators in Altspace. I also, with my friend Randy Road over at Yale, we're the XR community leaders for Educause. And if you find, if you're an educator and you want to get into the AR, VR world and you see somebody else that's doing it, just reach out to them. I find that there is no, it's a friendly group. We're all out there to help each other and to help kind of advance research. And it can be done a lot in VR. VR helps researchers better understand, you know, the human mind under stress. If you're a sociologist or a psychologist, you can immerse subjects in an experimental reality. You can understand social hierarchies. I mean, there's a lot of different metrics that you could, you know, physiological metrics like eye movement and heart rate that you can glean information from. So I don't think there's really a research area out there right now that wouldn't benefit from XR technology. Even in my, we have sports science. And if you're looking into like athletes and if they get injured and you can measure like their gait and, you know, their progression as they heal and how different methods of stress can really you know, have an effect on the body. I mean, it's just, it's a fascinating world and we can measure all of these things now like we never could before. It's truly a fascinating world. What about the artists and arts people you were talking about before? What's there for them? Oh, you know, I have to tell you, the artists are the ones that like jumped in feet first because you can create so many different things in that virtual world. It's your imagination, you know, unleashed. It's anything that you want to create. And I have Athena, who does the Burning Man displays in VR. And I mean, she's an artist with Tilt Brush and some of the other tools. Like artists can create all kinds of things and all kinds of worlds. Like, I think that's the amazing thing is they get to take that creativity and, you know, now there are no boundaries, right? It's whatever they want to create. And I think it's opened up a whole opened up a whole new world for artists that used to do things in two dimensions. And now when they see what they can create in three dimensions, it's been amazing, especially to watch some of my friends just blossom even further in what they can create. 
tilt brush is mind blowing. I'm loving painting yes. sculpting stuff in virtual exactly reality. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to see what they can come up with. I'm going to brag on you. You mentioned oh. being co-chair of VRARA's education committee, a new promotion just recently. How awesome is that? Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. What are some of the directions in which you really want to take education in XR in the future? Well, there's a number of directions that I'd love to take it. And I know we had discussed making like XR available for everyone. So I'll kind of touch on that. But as we jump in as a researcher, I also want to make everyone aware of the things that we still need to learn about and the, the dangers that are still out there when it comes to these types of worlds. So it's like twofold. I want to you know, be like Star Trek and have us explore, you know, these worlds that, you know, we can only imagine, but by the same token, I'd like to have safety measures in place that will protect, you know, students and learners, because there's a lot of information that's being captured. And I feel that that information should belong, you know, to that learner themselves and not be sold and their data shouldn't be sold. And because then it could get kind of dangerous, you know, where, there's different types of technology that measures, you know, your iris and your pupil size, and it will automatically know what your response will be before you even do. And just think about like how information could be sold that way. I mean, I, I feel like it's a strange new world, but it's also one that we have to take precautions in as well. That's really the scary part, because it seems like today, computers practically know what you're going to say before you say it. <laughs> yes. How do we exactly. get something like that? Well, there's a number of different ways, and I think a lot of it falls on not on making sure that the onus isn't on the consumer of the product, that these safety measures should be built in by the product developers themselves. I feel like they've kind of been given, because it's a whole new world, nobody's really put any kind of like stop on them. They've kind of just, you know, it's like the Wild West for them, and I feel like there needs to be you know, a new sheriff in town. <laughs> and I have to say, when I was presenting before on this particular topic, in Australia, they have something that's called safety by design. And I won't get into the ins and out of it, but it is that it's the service provider's responsibility, that it gives the users empowerment and autonomy, and that there is transparency and accountability. So you get to see, you know, what it is that, you know, when these updates happen instead of being like, oh, there's an update, either accept it or don't. It tells you, oh, here's what's happening with this update. And here's this information that we may capture on you and that the user can say yes or no. And I mean, think we'd be living in a different world if we actually got to say to a company, here's a piece of my information that I will give to you, but it's going to cost you this, you know, three cents every time you use it then we would be empowered and be gaining you know, that money instead of a company taking our data and being able to sell it. That's how I look at it anyway. I'm for it. Whenever we can do that, that would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to get us there someday for sure. I loved the conversation that happened with VRARA recently in Metaverse about meta-education. And one of the points that was brought up was a lot of the avatars when we're going into the Metaverse don't mm -hmm. look like real people. How can we change that as well? Well, I think that all goes to implicit bias. And I have spoken about this as well, because if the internet was created by 
web designers that the metaverse is being built by game designers and game designers are inherently male, 70% are male and 71.4% are white. And so they have this idea of, oh, what an avatar should look like. Especially when you're young, you don't really think like you're thinking, oh, I want to create the crowd that looks like me and the people I hang out with. Not really taking into consideration that, you know, there's people from different cultures, people from, you know, different age ranges that we look at, different shapes and sizes, and everybody wants representation, right? That's the beautiful thing about like creating this metaverse or this new world for everyone is that everyone should be able to be represented and be represented how they wish to be represented. And, you know, I've, that's the good thing about being part of XR Women is we will, you know, let companies know. So whether it's like, you know, Ready Player One or some of the others that like, hey, you know, this avatar you've created, the arms are too long. Like you're making like a female avatar has the same arm length as the male. And then, you know, we've run into issues here and, oh, you know, it's not representing our body size, you know, not... You know, we should all have to look like, you know, we're size double zero running around the street. <laughs> I would love to see also a little more representation of some of us have gray hair. I noticed that when I went, I won't say what application, but I went on a platform. And I thought even as a representation of an older character, this looks like it could be on the front page of a magazine. That's I'm big. sure that you see me and I look like that could be on the front page of a magazine. Definitely. <laughs> no. <Not> definitely. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And you know what some of the you know some of the data that I've looked at and the interesting thing that people don't think about is most game players actually happen to be female and older female. You know, we're playing games like Candy Crush and you know some of the other games that are out there. And yeah, it would be nice to have, you know, just because you're a senior or you hit a specific age mark doesn't mean that you don't like to play games, you don't want to be involved in things. And I feel like, you know when we talk about different types of biases, ageism is very real. And, you know, it's something that needs to be addressed. And if I can make sure that that's one area that we highlight as well in the metaverse, it's not just all shapes and sizes and cultures and abilities. It's also ages, all ages. That's true. I amused somebody recently. I went to a bank and I mentioned that we happen to like to play Pokemon. And that teller just thought that was the funniest thing, this older person playing Pokemon. Well, guess what? I also like to make games. What are some of the resources available that you see for people that aren't 30 anymore that really like to make games and would like to know more about creating them or creating meta worlds? Well, it's funny that you mentioned Unity because I feel like Unity is one of those you know, gaming engines that you can learn to code. And I, you know, it's not as complex as some of the other gaming systems. Like you can start with just basic 2D game, and then you can advance to 3D games in Unity. There's also a lot of different, you know, basic coding programs that are out there that, you know, people can look into. Unity just comes to mind because it's like one that I use but I actually have a friend, Dee, over in the UK, and she created this unique game for girls, and it's called Erase All Kittens, which sounds funny, but it's a coding platform for young girls to create games that, you know, are appealing to them that aren't full of, you know, violence and shooting. And so there's a lot of different types of game platforms that are out there that are available to people of all ages. And you know, just because you're a specific age doesn't mean that, you know, you can't get into it now. Uh, there's some fun 
coding programs that are out there for people of all ages. I like to think that all of us keep learning all the rest of our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I do. I'm constantly, you know, trying to learn, you know, the next thing that I can, you know, as far as like, you know, programming or even just different type of applications. So now I'm taking, you know, a Google certificate in UX design because I want to see when I, especially I feel like it'll help me as a researcher and working with others, you know, because that customer, that user experience is so important to everything that we do. So, you know, how do you, you know, look at that on a, on a grand scale? And I feel like there's, you know, free certificates out there, even from Google that you can take to expand your knowledge. There's so much today that wasn't there even 10 years ago. It's amazing. Yeah, it's true. What's one of the most fun experiences you yourself have had, let's say in the last six months or so in your position as an educator and a technologist? Oh, well, I actually have a number of different you know, projects that I work on, all of them are focused on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So the UN SDGs are extremely important because it, you know, ensures a world that's equitable for all and leaves no one behind. And I know we were talking about the IMXR and that is, a, it's a brand new program. It's creating it under the Center for Teaching and Learning, which we just launched and I think the most exciting thing, Dot, is getting headsets on other people and then watching their experience as they see like, oh, my God, like just the virtual backgrounds and, you know, the different worlds. And one of my favorite, if I, I have to say, is I can't think of the name of it particular off the top of my head, but I've always been fascinated by astronauts that go up into space and, you know, they look down on the earth and then they see just like how fragile we are and that thin layer of atmosphere. And that's all that's protecting us, you know, from space itself. And it's called the overview effect. And that may be actually the title of the app, but I had downloaded an app and it allowed me to go up into space and just kind of float over the earth. And if I had to say it was one of my favorite experiences it was because, you know, I have a deep love and appreciation for the earth that we're on. We only have one planet, right? There's no planet B. And, you know, as much as I love the immersive world of VR, I feel like VR can be used for the real world that we live in to make that a better place. So I, I feel like the overview effect and having the opportunity to see my colleagues, but also to be up in space and experience that myself is just a magical thing. Wow, so much of this is magical. I'm curious how you used XR in a project I was looking at on your webpage, Project Blue, that you've developed. So Project Blue is a sustainable use of the ocean. So it's goal 14 of the UN SDGs, Life Underwater. And in an effort to sustainably use the ocean and to protect it at the same time, we're looking at using kelp. So kelp is a carbon sequester and it also can be used to feed the world. And so what I'm we're trying to do is we have a we have a program, we have a B innovation, so it's blue economy innovation, and then we have a blue economy knowledge and we do these boot camps. So what I'm looking forward to doing is next year making some of this boot camp available in a VR setting so that anyone in the world can take part 
in the uh, B Knowledge boot camp and get a, a badge for taking our program. It's just a three day, but it gives you that broad overview of what it is. Wow, how yeah. exciting that is. And how can people access that when it comes out next year? Yeah, so we have a Project Blue at SCSU website, and we will make it available on the website. And I'd like to make it available for free for anyone that wants to, you know, find out what is the blue economy, what is B knowledge, blue economy knowledge, so that they understand the goal and what we're trying to do. What about IMXR? You mentioned that before briefly, but I looked online, couldn't find anything about it. What is this? Yep. So what it is, is it's something that I'm launching this year. I'm working with a number of different faculty that we have, and I'm trying to make a program that makes it accessible for anyone to understand what XR is. For anyone that's looking into it, there are organizations such as like University of Michigan, which is where I took my my intro to XR classes. And Michael Newbling does a great job. He kind of lays out the history of it and the theory of it. And what I'd like to do is just make this more of an average person who wants to gain an understanding of what XR is, that they could put on a headset and I will walk them through some of the different applications. I will tell you, Dot, like one of the things that is an issue, and if I was, you know, to give any company out there is we were talking about this during VR ARA, it was Carlos Ocha and Alex Grady from Unity, is that there's no marketplace for us. So if there was like a general marketplace, you know, for different apps and apps that will help you in education and, you know, apps that would help for math or for physics, a lot of that's being created right now, but it would be great if we could all have a platform for even those that are creating it to be able to launch their products on this particular type of marketplace. Because right now there's a lot of friction. It's still very hard for educators to find what they need. You know, they kind of have to like search and do some research on their own. I, when I was launching this project, reached out to Jeremy Nelson at the University of Michigan. And I said, you know, when you were getting your XR started there, how did you start? And he said that he had put out a call to faculty. So I've kind of done the same. And then the research takes off from there, but there's no easy marketplace right now for us. And if I was to ask for anything out there, if it, you know people are looking into like, what could I create to make this you know, a booming industry? I think that would be one of the first places to start. Suppose we did create that marketplace. What would you like to see? How would you like to see it work? Well, there's a lot of things that I would like. And I think I'd like to look at some of the different types of applications that are out there for different types of abilities. You know, there's auditory disabilities, but XR can do wonders for the hearing impaired, right? So that immersive audio, I think this is an underutilized and forgotten element for creating those great XR experiences. And there's an app, for example, that's called Notes on Blindness. And I feel like it does a great job of using spatial audio. So sounds emanate at us from all directions. But in this app, John Hull was a fellow who began losing his sight. And in 1983, he began keeping an auditory diary so that he wasn't losing his mind as his sight was diminishing. So he recorded over 16 hours of material. And in the notes on blindness, it calls excavating the interior world of blindness. But you get to listen to his tapes. And what they've done is 
they put you in this immersive world and everything is kind of dim. You just basically see shapes. And But if there's a newspaper rustling on your right in this application, the immersive audio matches the location and you kind of see the outline of the paper, but you can hear the newspaper and you can hear like a woman walking in high heels on the left. And then as it, it was amazing. But what I love is like, here's a marketplace for auditory disabilities. I know that they just launched this archery game, acoustic archery game that allows blind people to experience virtual reality for the first time. I read about that in January, but I don't know where to get it. I don't know what the name of it is. So I would love if there were like a platform that laid it out for all of the, you know, different abilities. So, you know, if there somebody has neurological disabilities, I mean, there's apps for them or for physical disabilities or even visual. So just as an example, when I was looking for that, there's a seeing VR, which was a set of tools that these researchers have put together. So they have 14 tools that enhance VR applications for people with low vision. And that they do that by providing visual and auditory augmentations. And, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, Michael at University of Michigan, I wouldn't have learned about that. And I know that there's other things like there's a vision buddy for people with low vision for elderly that have trouble seeing. It's a medically validated and approved virtual reality wearable headset where I can get it. I don't know. And these are the things that I want. Like I want tools that are used for people of different abilities so that others who are doing research and want to enhance things for them can use these different types of tools. So I would start there, like have a marketplace for people of all different abilities. If we say that this XR and the metaverse is going to be for everyone, where are the apps for all of these different people? Like that's where I would start myself. That's a challenge that I hope people take up and run with. I want to see this. I know. I I hope so too. And if we're, you know, if I could just add something that when I think about people and where we could go with VR, for example, is I feel like we still have some work to do in nonverbal communications. So I don't know, Dot, have you used spatial and some of the different type of formats where you can create these different avatars? I have not used spatial yet. Okay. But I hope it's coming in the very near future. Yeah. Well, I feel like one of the things where XR is still behind is that nonverbal communication. So, you know, we say a lot through gestures or our body language, you know, the posture or tone of voice. And I feel like facial expressions are all of those important nuances in conveying the message that the sender wants to convey. And especially during this period of globalization, like intercultural communication has become more prevalent than ever as well. So let's think about nonverbal communication. I like to think about shows like Downton Abbey is something that comes to mind because it was like a beloved show and a lot of people liked it. But So much was said there with like looks or nods of the head or, you know, words that come out where they're saying something, but just the way they're saying it, they're implying something else. And I feel like those types of nonverbal communications are important for XR and for us to like, when we're starting to create avatars, to be able to have those facial gestures like included because in intercultural communication, people can communicate in many different ways. And I think we're still missing that kind of piece of it. 
yet another exciting challenge. <laughs> Rick, I know. I'm sorry, Don. I'm laying out all the challenges here, but you know, it's what I see, you know, and that's what makes it so rich, right? Is there's so many areas to research and to look at and to, you know, dive deeper into. So it can help humanity in so many different ways, but there's still so much work that has to be done. And no, I'm sorry, necessary. This is exciting. <laughs> Here's where to connect with Colleen and with XR Women. XRWomen.com is the, you know, the portal. It's open. It's free. Anyone can join. We're, you know, whether you're a woman or you're an ally, everyone is welcome there. So that's a great resource just to make connections. We, like I said, we have speakers that are leading the way in XR technology. And this could be, you know, designers. It could be people who create these different types of experiences. We have researchers that come on. So every Wednesday, we have very interesting speakers and we do a wellness Wednesday once a month as well, because we felt that mental health of, you know, everyone out there is so important, especially during COVID. We were so shut off from one another. And I have to say that the, you know, friends that I work with at XR Women have just been the warmest, most welcoming group. Everyone is welcome. We're there to mentor others and to help as much as possible. I will say if you're an educator in higher ed, Educause is a great way to connect with different people in this space. I'm on LinkedIn at, you know, Colleen Bielitz, B-I-E-L-I-T-Z. Anyone that wants to link in with me, you know, I'm not one of those LinkedIn snobs like, oh, no, don't bother me. I don't know you. If I can help anyone, especially, you know, in this space or around the UN SDGs, I'm here for that. I feel that's what we should be as educators. We should be there for others and to help, you know, open the worlds to everyone, not just a select few. So, you know, I'm here to help anyone. It doesn't matter if they're in education or if they're in manufacturing or whatever it may be, if I can help, you know, I have a plethora of resources because I've been, you know, in this for a while and doing this. So I'm here to, you know, offer my assistance in any way possible. Thank you. How can people best support you? People are going to hear you say, I can give, I can help, but what can we give you? Well, I am happy to partner with others. If there are, you know, those that are creating even platforms, I'm interested in like helping freshmen in math and English. And I know that there's like a VR platform called Prisms XR and that it uses AI to help with math learning. So if there are people out there and you're looking for researchers and you want to test particular products, you know, I would love to be able to help with that as well. And yeah, just to make connections, you know, because we live in the collaborative community. It's a knowledge economy. It's a collaborative economy today. And any way that I can have people connect with me and then connect those with others or look at different ways to partner you know, none of us can do it alone anymore. And, you know, resources are scarce. And, you know, I feel like there's so much opportunity, though. So if anybody is, you know, willing to touch base with me to partner anyway, or to help me, like with Project Blue or IMXR, I'm all for it. And finally, if people can only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you most like them to take away from your work? Well, that's a great question, Dot. And I would say that equity is extremely important to me. I want to make sure that as we go forward with these, you know, brave new frontiers, that no voice gets left behind. 
I feel like XR can do great things because it can enhance, you know, the visual for people who have trouble seeing. Spatial audio can be used to help those, you know, people as well to have different types of experiences. I feel like XR can be used to help people develop different types of cognitive abilities if they've, you know, been through a, you know, traumatic brain injury or something of that sort. I love that it's available for people with disabilities. If you haven't been able to, you know, walk or you've been confined to a wheelchair and yet you put on a VR headset and suddenly you have legs and you can be Michael Jordan, dunk a ball. And, you know, it's, it can open up so many worlds. It's just, I want to make sure that it's accessible to all and that everyone, you know, has the opportunity to, you know, play a part in this new metaverse, you know, that we're creating. Colleen, thank you for your time today. Well, thank you. It's been such a pleasure, Dot. And I appreciate and I'm humbled that you asked. So, you know, you have my gratitude. You and I have been listening to Dr. Colleen Bielitz, futurist, entrepreneur, tech evangelist, co-chair of the VRARA Education Committee, and associate vice president for strategic initiatives and outreach at Southern Connecticut State University. You can follow Colleen on LinkedIn at Colleen Bielitz, B-I-E-L-I-T-Z. You can also find out more about Project Blue at projectblue.southernct.edu and find out more about XR Women at xrwomen.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.